Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, it takes two of us to fill Doug's shoes. And if you're going through Doug withdrawal, I've got very good news for you. The host of the show, the guy whose name is on this show, joins us now here on Fox Sports Radio to not only talk about what's happened so far in the NCAA tournament, but obviously the big, big stories that have surfaced in the NFL over the last 48 hours, including the one that surfaced over the last hour or so, Deshaun Watson being traded by the Browns or traded by the Texans to the Browns and getting a five-year, $230 million deal. Doug, at first blush, what did you think when you saw the Deshaun Watson trade news? Um, well, now that I heard the story, I think it's comical. You know, it's like <laughs> he didn't want to go to Cleveland, but hey, if you want to pay me more money than God, sure, I'll come to Cleveland. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, yeah. dude, I I get the balls of this guy. He's got twenty or twenty two civil pending civil deals. He hasn't played. Here's my thing with with the Deshaun Watson thing. Okay, his agent, who's obviously brilliant, much smarter than me. You know, they signed a deal in Jacksonville for Jalen Ramsey. Paid him more than any other guy. Then. With, I think, a year or two years left, he won a new deal. And when they wouldn't give it to him, he, you know, he quit on the team. And that's basically what Deshaun Watson did. The problem with the Deshaun Watson thing is he had signed a deal 10 months earlier, and he got paid the first three years up front. And that last year that he sat out, that wasn't under the terms of the new deal. That's the old deal. So he actually is now going to get his third contract. He didn't play a snap under his second contract. He's still being sued for all these these uh, civil uh, uh, these civil suits, whatever, and he's going to get a completely guaranteed five-year contract, and this is after Cleveland said they want an adult in the room? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, look, he's a really talented guy, and all of the accusations came as a surprise to everybody in the NFL because the thought is that, you know, he's just, his background, anytime he did background research, you're blown away by how great duty he is, but I don't know, like, yeah, that, that one strikes me as odd. Well, and that was going to yeah. be my question for you, Doug, is that I, I look at the situation and say, never question other man's money. You know, go get money that's going to take care of your family for generations to come. But, you know, a, a couple days, a, a day after Devontae Adams leaves Green Bay, after Aaron Rodgers becomes the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, you now have Devontae, or you have Deshaun Watson getting all this money to go to the AFC North with all these great quarterbacks across the AFC as opposed to what we thought he was going to end up doing which is go to the NFC South which is about to be wide open in a year or two when Tom Brady officially steps away the NFC itself is wide open just what do you make of that angle because I I get money I get taking care of your family but no one could argue that that the better path to win at the highest level which is what's supposed to be a big part of this is not in Cleveland so it's a question just, just what do you make of the decision to go to the AFC? I, to me, it doesn't make sense, but I'll, I'll give you. Oh, the I mean, like, look, I think Cleveland's super talented. I mean, obviously they're, they're going to have eight new wide receivers, or whatever. But I mean, they're super talented. I don't think anybody's ever questioned their level of talent, just competency at head coach and competency at quarterback. That said, yeah, I do think you should pay attention to division. You know, Baltimore had seventeen guys on IR. By the way, Lamar Jackson might be smarter than every everybody, right? Because he's just waiting, not answering the phone, and. Whether Baltimore gives him the money or somebody else, he's going to get a gigantic check coming up here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're still going to be behind Baltimore, I would think. And they'll still be behind uh, Cincinnati, one would think. And then, you know, Pittsburgh hasn't had a losing season with their head coach. I don't know what they do at quarterback. You know, if, if Mitch Trubisky and um, uh, who else? Who am I thinking of? Uh, Oklahoma State. Well, I might buyer help me out. Quarterback. I mean, uh, Mason, Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph. Yeah. You know, whoever their quarterback is of those two, I mean, obviously, reputation-wise, isn't near the other three. But Pittsburgh has still figured it out, even with Ben, who they couldn't run half their plays last last year. So, yeah, I, I don't know if you pay attention to the NFC. I think, I think Aaron, most of those guys, I mean, obviously, he's not caught up in winning. 
Yeah. <laughs> if he was if he was caught up in winning, he wouldn't have said, "Hey, Browns, I don't want to go there unless but you want to pay me some more money." You know, because yeah. obviously, what's coming out now from from the NFL insiders? Oh, it was about winning. You know, if it was about winning, then it'd been Cleveland. But there's also, you know, Atlanta wouldn't have been taken so seriously. I think. I honestly think Carolina would have. I think I agree with Dan Byer. Dan has said for a while that that Carolina is kind of a quarterback away if they have if they have Connor McCaffrey. I mean, Connor McCaffrey. They have uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by it. But like, look, at least we'd have to stop talking about Houston and Sean Watson. Now, we'll, I guess we'll talk about Baker Mayfield, and you know, now you'll get a, a true sense of what everybody thinks of Baker Mayfield. Because if people like Baker Mayfield, there'll be a bidding war for him. If everybody else has the comes to the conclusion that most of us has, which he's fine, he's a starter, you know, not a great one, and he's a, he's really good in commercials, better in commercials than he is in football. Then yeah, that's reasonable. Um, if if there's a bidding war for him, then maybe we have a we we underrate him. Um, if there's no market for him, then we overrate him. Like all of those things are are very possible or even likely. You dropped a uh, what's the question to Aaron. That should have been the name of Jeopardy, now that I think about it. Like, it makes a lot more sense for that show to be called What's the Question instead of Jeopardy. What's the right? question, Aaron? Yeah. I got the answer that I wanted, though, which is that it's clearly not about winning, which is what was going on in my head, but I, I didn't want to be the only one that was thinking it. So well, I know. That's, that's, the, that's the, whole, like, this is the whole thing with Deshaun. And I said I didn't think he was a top-ten quarterback back when he – and everybody's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I've talked to NFL guys. They're like, look. He's good, but he's not. A, he holds the ball a little bit long. He's not a great decision maker in the red area, and like we can't do the LeBron James thing with him and, and the Texans, right? We can't when they get a twenty-four nothing lead? That's all Deshaun Watson. They they choke away that lead. None of it's Deshaun Watson. Like the truth is somewhere in the middle there. There's a reason that it was his team and they didn't win. So again, not all his fault, but there's at least some blame to go around. And so with that in mind. You know, I've I've never been huge. Like he's not Michael Jordan. He's not synonymous with winning. Um, and I don't think Houston was as poorly run as as people want you to believe, especially in that division. Uh, but he's just got to get back out to playing football. And he's still very early in what should be a long and storied career. Doug Gottlieb joining us here on the Doug Gottlieb Show. He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Byer sitting in for uh, Doug today, but Doug joining us talking about all of the hot topics. Another one on Watson because you alluded to this, and I know we've talked about this on the show, but there seems to be no mention of the 22 civil cases. This, is this going away quicker than we thought? Because, it's again, it's 22 civil cases, 22 women saying that he did these things. I, how do you think this plays out? Is this going qu- away quicker than you thought, or does this still stick around with Watson even when he goes to Cleveland? I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. I think it's the most bizarre thing ever, especially when we're in this. You know, it's like it goes against narratives you get all the time. Like you get people all the time saying, you know, like that that there's still a racial implication for quarterbacks. Like, what? Who are we kidding? The guy hasn't played football in a year. Okay. He has 22 pending civil cases against him, and he just got a, a $230 million guarantee. Why? Because he's a really good quarterback, and they needed him. And the only way to entice him to waive in that no-trade clause is to offer him more money than he can get elsewhere. Like, it, it's not because he's black. It's not because he's white. It's because he's good at football, which I, I guess is the way it should be. Now, the other part to it, though, is we're in this time where – we're finally protecting and looking out for women in the world of sports. Doesn't this go counter to it? I, mm. I don't know. I don't know how real these accusations are. I can only tell you that I just I wouldn't want to have a quarterback on my team if any of these are are real. Um, and my my issue with it is like, yeah, you can have a bad interaction with a person or two, and they can misperceive you. But this many people seems like a lot. What did you make of the Devontae Adams news yesterday, Doug? I mean, obviously there were, uh, you know, just, just the Aaron Rodgers element of it, coming back, signing that massive contract Devontae Adams wants out a short time after. What did you make of the news yesterday? Well, I think the giveaway was when they franchise tagged him. Because I don't think – because they franchise tagged him right after they had um, 
right after they had uh, Aaron Rodgers announced he's staying. So with that in mind, there had to have been a plan in place. And the question becomes, what is that plan? Is it rookie, rookie wide receivers? Are they going to trade for somebody? Are they going to sign somebody or sign a couple of somebodies? I think it makes more sense than, you know, the Twitter world's like, oh, hand the championship to the Raiders or the AFC West. Like, okay, he's, you know, going to be 30. It's a ton of money. He's very, very good. Not the best wide receiver in the league. Um, he's very, very good. But, like, again, you're paying him for what he's going to do for the next four years, not what he's done for the last four years. And he does get hurt. And in addition to being hurt, it's not like he's a burner. He's a very, very good player. But does he does he conf- does he make you an absolute playoff team? The answer, my estimation, is no. Like, like people are freaking out about Jamie Collins. Like, like Jamie Collins fits their system, and they they he knows all those guys. That makes sense. But Jamie Collins isn't worth that on the, on the open market. I mean, I guess he is because they paid it, but he should be. Doug Gottlieb joining us here on his own show on Fox Sports Radio. That was a lot of NFL talk. I want to get your thought of what's happened in the uh, first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, really starting with yesterday, uh, Iowa, the team that we all loved, um, coming off that Big Ten tournament win. How does Iowa fall short to Richmond yesterday? I thought Richmond had a really good game plan. where they, And then I thought Keegan Murray showed his inexperience as an alpha. You know, one of the reasons that I think all these – great players should go to college and play and be the best guy is you have to learn how to be an alpha. You have to learn how to demand the ball, how to get the ball, how to make plays when, or, or get other people's shots when the defense is loading up against you. And Keegan, it's only his second year in college. He went from like seven a game to 24 a game. Like that's a pretty big jump. But this was his first time, which he didn't really demand the ball. You know, that's what you got to do. And that when your team's falling out of the game, you're not getting the rock. You got to go get it. And make a play. And that's always have to be the score, you know. Mm-hmm. You get you get doubled. Somebody's open. Make the right play. But he was a little meek yesterday. Um, I mean, I think that four and four days, and then playing on a Thursday that beats you up. And then I thought that they had a great game plan against him. You know, they they didn't like they tried not let Keegan get the ball. Um, they tried to really pressure Jordan Bohan, and they said, "Hey, you got three other guys on the court. Let's make them beat us." And they couldn't. So I was home. What'd you make of Kentucky? Um, you know, not just a two fifteen loss, but fourth, fifth year in a row where uh, they have, they made a Final Four since since fifteen. Um, you know, probably third, fourth year in a row where they've lost to a lower seeded team. Calipari feeling some heat this morning, Doug. What'd you make of it? Well, it's not the first time, or it's not the last time he's going to have trouble with St. Peter, right? I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Uh, John would have the uh, the uh, the uh, what is it the the rim shot? Is that what we would need? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But he's got the John Ramos show coming up, so yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I thought St. Peter's had a great game plan. I thought they I kept him pretty much in the half court. I thought Kentucky was lazy with switches, and when you get lazy with switches, you just kind of leave guys. You know, Oscar Shibway. They were screening Oscar Shibway with. You know, whoever the smallest player was. Um, and so you get a point guard, and you get Shavir Wheeler guarding a big guy in the post. And and then Shibway is kind of in the middle. Do I help or do I stay home? And he struggled to guard in the perimeter. I, mean, I thought Shaheen Holloway and their staff did a really good job. And then I thought I thought Kentucky got tight, which is surprising for Kentucky because Kentucky is usually a team that they're used to being everybody's biggest game. You would think that a little pressure wouldn't bother them. But I think the pressure of the moment kind of bothered them because they hadn't won the SEC. And so they, when you haven't won anything, it's hard to, you know, just go play and know that you you have the confidence and that you're going to win it. That's why teams that win are the traditionally and win throughout the season are the hardest to beat in the tournament because, you know, winners just find ways to win. And winning teams find ways to win. And I, I think Kentucky was a team that, you know, I saw against Kansas and they looked like the best team on earth. I was – I would have given. I would have laid five points to the Lakers after that night. <laughs> Although that's not saying much as the Lakers, um, but they had injuries and they just didn't get better because they weren't together long enough. And then I didn't think their defense was smart with how they played it. And their offense, I thought Shane did a good job of working in some matchup zone. The offense left a lot to be desired. So, I mean, it it happens. That's the tournament. You get beat. Uh, but this is a bit of a trend. This is a bit of a trend for. Um, for uh, Kentucky. 
it's also a, a bit of a trend with the 15 upsetting the two. It's the 10th time it's happened, but it's also the sixth yeah. time in the last 10 years it's happened. Is there a reason for that? I have a theory. Um, I'm curious. on You want to hear my theory? Yeah. When the NCAA tournament expanded to 68, they expanded by jamming teams in the middle. So there were 16 – there are always four 16 seeds that were the worst teams in the field. Well, now those four teams play in Dayton on Tuesday and Wednesday where true 15s are now 16s. And that trickles down. So now f- some 15s are 14s maybe or should have been 14s. Maybe some should have been 13s. And I think that plays a role into it. Aside from a big college basketball thought you know, of, of why this is happening – I just think that the, the, the field has changed where back in the day we looked at 15s as true 15s, and now they're really borderline 14s, maybe even 13s if we receive them wrong. That's why I think it's happening more. Okay. Um, I like that. I like the theory. I would say that's part of it. Remember, there's, there's two 16s playing in, uh, in yeah. Dayton, so you there's... actually have, what, six 16, six 16s? Yeah, and which four fifteen? Yeah, previously right. there were only four sixteens, but and so those right. two sixteens were actually fifteens. That's my yeah. theory. It's a good theory. My theory was though that the reason those teams would be hurt more is guys are players are transferring up a level now instead of only down a level, mm-hmm. and I thought those teams would get just depleted by the transfer. I mean, case in point, Kellen Grady, four years at Davidson, now he transfers out to play at Kentucky. You know, so the problem with that level is if you're really good, you either go pro or you transfer to a better school the next year. That, that was my theory. Um, what those schools have going for them is, one, like you said, they're not nearly what a traditional 15 is. Two, the, the, the ones this year, if it's not Baylor last year and Gonzaga last year, they're just not as dominant. You know, those teams are all kind of new and put together. And then – um, I, I don't think the bottom is as, as far back as the 352 teams would lead you to believe because not just the transfers, but the difference in age. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, look at what Texas Tech's going out there. There's a reason that they're just not fun to play against because they're awesome. They're well coached and they're old and they're super athletic and they're long. And there's just nowhere to score. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good theory. I would just add to it that um, I think age and experience are a big factor, not the only factor, but are a factor in that as well. And then, you know, you have teams that are just kind of put together. I mean, look, they played a whole season together, but you're still talking about Oscar Shibway played somewhere else and hadn't played in a year before he started playing this year. Um, you know, Kellen Grady played somewhere else for four years. Shavir Wheeler played somewhere else before. And not everybody plays on a team that's a winner. You know, Wheeler's at Georgia. They weren't winners. And so you not only develop a little bit of bad habits, although mostly good habits, but whatever you've done, that's led you to lose, not to win. Doug, Arizona starting point guard out, Baylor's banged up, Kentucky's out of this thing altogether. Do you believe there's a clear best team in this tournament right now? No. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Me neither. What about St. Peter's? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was good. That was good. Gonzaga, stop sleeping, St. Peter's. Dude, how about St. Mary's just kicking their cut? Now, St. Mary's, they they told me they're like, man, they're just dead, but they were really good. St. Mary's UCLA is a hell of a game. This USC uh, Miami game is really good too. Yeah, fifty-seven, fifty-six. What with three nineteen left to go, Hurricanes up, up by one. I'll tell you what, with the drama that we have, like if you're a number one seed, if you are, you know, Baylor taking a, Baylor North Carolina tomorrow should be. Uh, a lot of fun. I am no longer amazing. just yeah. I'm no longer just going to uh, glaze over a one seed dominating a sixteen, considering the upsets that uh, that we see. Uh, did you catch Ohio State Loyola today? I did. Before we let you go, I, did. I don't sorry know. To hear that? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I hate, uh, it seems like rest helped the Buckeyes. They yeah. seem like a different and team. Tal- and they got and they got Tal Young and Zed Key back. Yes. So yes. they got two other top six back, and both in- interior players, and they finally got some rest. And it took oh. them a little while, but then they kind of cracked the code, and they kicked the crap out of it. Well, they could make a layup today. They were bad. Real bad. bad. They couldn't Sometimes make anything. 
Yeah. yeah. Somebody just played bad. I think they just played bad. That's like when you get an A plus in science in flunk math, so your GPA is two. You know, like that's how it. But they, they were they were great defensively. Well, they, were, they they were really really good defensively, but they could not buy a bucket. All right, we know they're busy doing. They played eleven on layups in the first half. Yeah, they're not like Ohio State has shot blockers back there. No, no, they were awful from the free throw line too. They were three of ten today. So uh, Sister Jean's gonna have to wait another year. You know what I love is I love when people go like, oh, the conference, the Mountain West, like Colorado State led. Yeah. More of the time in the game than Michigan did. Boise was up nine with a couple minutes to go. You have a 9 0 run, lost in overtime. Wyoming was close. I never thought Wyoming was great. And then Boise was down, came all the way back. That was a hell of a basketball game, too. Like, we do this thing where a team loses and that conference sucks, and when a team wins, that conference is great. And the Big Ten does, and the Big 12 has a chance to catch a bunch of heat because they, they're eventually going to kind of mesh their two teams. And. What used to be the Big Ten Network style carry me on uh, on Zoom. Well, well, don't worry. Aaron's got alarms set at home for when Big Ten teams lose, so he can send what? out tweets attacking um, that 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 are you okay? conference. Are you doing your Huskies? Is it okay? So I'm perfectly fine because what we t- you asked me on Monday, you said how uh, you don't see, seem to t- be too confident. I said. They go through crazy long stretches where they don't score. And what I would say, Doug, to be blunt, since we're gonna, since we're going down this road, uh, you know Chris Jans. You know how he coaches. You know the the path of Teddy Allen through three, four schools, whatever. Um, five. And okay, five. So my my bottom line is pretty straightforward: is when your entire program is built on toughness and physicality and you get out-toughed and out-physicaled by New Mexico State. I'm not – this isn't a a Calipari, Dan Hurley sucks. Dan Hurley's a great coach. But the entire program is built on toughness and physicality. They got out-toughed and out-physicaled. So the right right team won last night. No, it happens. It happens. I mean, like, look, dude, I I don't care who you are. You're at UConn, okay? And even though those guys haven't won anything, it's impossible to not be at UConn, look up and see all those banners and think you're part of something and – now all of a sudden everybody in the state is telling you how great you are and you know, even your coaching staff is is privately going like, Hey, we actually we would have beaten Providence if Sonogo played and you know, we're we're actually the best team. Look, everybody thinks we're the best team. And then to walk in there and see New Mexico State N M S U you like, I've never heard of any of these guys. And like Teddy Allen, ah, he's nice, but like that dude is just as likely to get thrown out as he is to make it to the end of the game. Right? And it's mm-hmm. you think you win the game in layup lines. And I'm telling you, if you ever seen New Mexico State in person, you're like holy crap, they're an all-airport team. They look really good. And um, they've always been – I mean, they've just dominated the whack since they've been in it. So, But I, I, I can guarantee you it's hard to get guys motivated. Like, hey, these guys will beat you and they'll make you look bad. Yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. And they, they did. They were bad. I mean, RJ tried to bring them back and won that one little stretch, but um, that was just a bigger, better team. And it wasn't really crazy competitive. So I would like to put it on coaching and playing, but sometimes you just got to feel that, feel that loss, feel that sting. We 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 so quickly forget how many years uh, Calhoun lost early, Correct. before finally figuring it out, and then once he figured it out, they were awesome. And all Teddy, I would add really quick is Teddy uh, Allen had uh, four less points than Loyola did today. I'm sorry, Eric. Go ahead, wrap it up. No, all I was gonna say was I, I did a hit in Arkansas today, and I told those same guys. I said, look, if, if you, I, I, Muss is a great pregame motivator but if you don't have your guys ready to go you're going to look up and it's going to be 14 to 3 you know six minutes into this game and so uh you know i think the same thing could happen to arkansas tomorrow if they don't come come out locked in so they get they get housed huh i mean they can because new mexico state new mexico state's going to beat you up they don't care who you are no i think i think mexico state's good i'm i i don't think you're wrong I, i think New mexico state is a sound bet um no, I'm I'm fascinated by a lot of stuff. I, I like look, Byer and I we're big on Ohio State. Well, maybe maybe I I didn't hop out the bandwagon. I don't know Byer if you did hop out the bandwagon. I, I did after their stretch for a while, but yeah. I mean they've been bad. There's no reason there's no reason not to. I'm just a bigger buyer. <laughs> yeah. Um, no pun intended. Well, yesterday it was yesterday it was Timmy Allen five schools. Now he still could grad transfer to another school <laughs> to make it six. That'd be amazing. Right, uh, Chris Chance gets another job. Get, I think he could get one year back and do seven for the COVID year. COVID year. I think COVID, that might have been the year he was redshirting at Wichita, or maybe he was at junior college that year. But you can get that year back. 
All okay. I know is yeah, he all a, these, he was a bucket uh, yesterday. Hold, no question. Hold on, I need to. I I I, uh, I don't want to kick Doug off of his own show, but we are we are going quite long. I just want to leave you guys with this. Do you guys know how many games Jordan Bohannon played in his college career? It's like one. Is that eight. fake graphic or the real graphic? Uh, well, the, the real years. one. The okay, the real so one. I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna, try, I'm, I'm gonna try and do the smart math. Okay. Okay. Six years at roughly thirty per year, except for the one medical redshirt year. I think he played ten. So yep. I'll go 150. I'll say 170 games. Very close, Aaron. You would you say, Aaron? That was going to be about my guess. 179. Oof. 179. If you oh. hold every record at your school and you've been a scorer <laughs> since day one, it's like it's like. Look, here's the deal. I am not the Big 12's all-time assist leader because I played three years in the Big 12. Aaron Miles played four. Additionally, Aaron Miles played in a couple Final Fours. I only I played in how many NCAA tournament games? One, two, three, uh, six, eight. I played in eight. So you know, if you played in the Final Four, you're playing in at least five per year, right? So those are all. That's all. It's just gross number of games. So where Aaron Miles gets me is in uh, in total. Right. If you go a three-year breakdown, it's not close. And if I go four years, I throw in my Notre Dame year. I have more assists than him. Anyway, for Jordan Bohannon, like, yeah, he's the all-time three-point king, but he should be the all-time everything king. Should have more steals than everybody. Should have more turnovers than everybody. Have more made free throws than everybody. Have more made threes than everybody. Have the most minutes than anybody. He's Doug Gottlieb, the host of the Doug Gottlieb Show. Kind uh, enough to join us today on his own show. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Bye, boys. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I think Nick Casario needs a standing ovation. Aaron Torres, the general manager of the Houston Texans, held on to Deshaun Watson and did not move him last season and now is going to get what he had wanted all along, reports saying in this breaking news story, Three first-round picks going from Cleveland to Houston in the breaking news story that is Deshaun Watson willing to go to the Browns. And now the sides, basically, Aaron, the agreed compensation is three draft pick, three first-round draft picks and two other pieces. They could be other draft picks, I believe, maybe a day two or day three compensation. That was according to uh, Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. But Deshaun Watson going to leave the Houston Texans, and the Texans getting three first-round picks from the Cleveland Browns. Um, yeah, tip of the cap. That's, that's how you're supposed to do it with a general manager. You stick to your guns, and in the end, they get what they wanted for Watson. Well, I know there's a lot of Deshaun Watson angles to peel back on this, but from the Texans' perspective, I agree with you. And I, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, when I used to host with Arnie Spanier, we used to argue about this all the time. And I know that the Deshaun Watson situation is a little bit different. He had the legal issues. You couldn't trade him for a significant amount of time. But I have never understood this notion that the second that a guy demands a trade, well, you ha- and Arnie and I used to argue about this nonstop, well, you have to trade him. Well, what are you going to do? And I, and I think, you know, I've criticized Daryl Morey a lot, but I think that was a perfect example in the NBA of, of saying, look, you want out. If this is not fixable, then we will get you out. But it's not going to be on your terms. I mean, even going back to the Anthony Davis trade to the Lakers several years ago, if you remember, Dan, they basically took it up to the trade deadline, uh, toyed with the Lakers a little bit and said, no, we're not, we're not trading you right now. You don't want to be here. That's fine. But we're not morally obligated to trade you just for the sake of trading you. And so I'm 100% with you. I give the Houston Texans a great amount of credit for waiting and getting the deal that was right for them, the best deal possible. I would also say on top of that, I think it's very interesting, which is, again, another side conversation for another day, how teams are finally realizing how hit or miss it is to give up draft picks. All of a sudden, this almost feels like the NBA where you want my next three draft picks, take them. You want three of my next four, that's fine. Give me the superstar that is established in this league. Again, another prime example of how bad the Seahawks trade for Jamal Adams was. Check out the latest lines of the world of sports at BetRivers Sportsbook. BetRivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. Must be 21, must be present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, and Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, so the Texan side of things, done. Let's get to those Browns sort of things. This This is my issue with Watson going to Cleveland. 
And I'm going to put a caveat on it, Aaron, because it is an important caveat, one that I've actually spoken to you about on shows when it talks about legacy and history. It's different when you win a World Series and you're a member of the Boston Red Sox, especially when you're a member of that 2004 team. It's different when you're a member of the Chicago Cubs and you win a World Series, especially that 2016 Chicago Cubs team. It is different when you win championships in certain places, especially places with extreme droughts or, in Cleveland's case, never a Super Bowl win. I understand all of that, and I have always used that, Aaron, as a reason to go to Cleveland and to try to win a Super Bowl because if you do, like you reach godlike status in that city. And there, there, are, there are only a few organizations really in sports that you can do that and have that sort of effect. Now, with that being said, of these final four teams, I know that Cleveland has a running game, but they do not have anybody to throw the football to right now. And Carolina does. DJ Moore just got his three-year extension. You can talk about the lack of weapons that they have in Atlanta, which they do, but they did use a top-five pick on Kyle Pitts last year, so at least he is there. And then now you look at what the Saints have with Alvin Kamara in that backfield and Michael Thomas coming back. The lack of weapons in Cleveland is another reason why I didn't think that Cleveland was a possibility and makes me think that this was all about money. That's why I don't like the deal for Watson is – now what is he going to throw to? There's no Jarvis Landry. OBJ's not there. Uh, you tag David and Joku, but what is? who are you going to throw to if you are the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson? That's why I am not as high on this deal as I thought I, you could have been if you went to the other three places. Well, and it is interesting, right? And, and I mean, I think we're seeing now, and by the way, Aaron Rodgers, the same thing. I mean, it's clear that for Aaron Rodgers, uh, being the highest paid player in the NFL uh, or, or, you know, having the salary that he did was important to him. And, and I don't want to say it wasn't about winning because I think going back to Green Bay was a better option than anywhere that he could have potentially gone if he had not stayed in Green Bay. But with Deshaun Watson, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, criticize anybody you know, however, 200 whatever million dollars that he got, make your money, take care of your family, set up generations of your family for the rest of your life. But I don't see how it's anything other than about the money when for all the reasons that you mm-hmm. just laid out, Dan, I'm not saying that Atlanta, New Orleans, Carolina, who he seemed to eliminate, I'm not saying that some of these teams were a perfect fit. But I'm telling you, man, the, the NFL, you know, you could change your fortunes really quick. I mean, we, we talked about Devontae Adams in hour one. Uh, guys become available. And uh, things change quickly in this league. If you go to one of those teams, Tom Brady has uh, – I know he's now back. Uh, obviously, that was established this weekend. But we're talking about you have a, a year or two left of Tom Brady. That division is wide open. The Saints are under new leadership, all that good stuff. And so, and oh, by the way, the path is just so much easier than going through a conference where you now have – Russell Wilson on top of, again, we know the names, but Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, on and on and on. So I don't like it. I understand it's about money. I'll never blame anybody for taking the biggest check that you can get. But, man, you just made life a lot more. If this is, if this is supposed to be no. about winning, you just yeah. made life a lot more complicated. It actually annoyed me with it because, as Doug anoints me, the Aaron Rodgers hater, that is not the case. But I always felt it was different in Green Bay over these last year or two that it was that it wasn't about the money for Aaron Rodgers, that actually he was at a different point in his career where maybe it was just about do I want to play football or not? He was at a different point in his life. That's that's what I thought this was all about. And I actually, you know, had looked at him in a little different way to be like, wow, if the guy's willing to give up his career and a paycheck of, you know, thirty million dollars at the time of 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 willing to do that because his heart just wasn't in it or he just wanted to do something else. I actually like will, will, will tip my cap. I may, I may not have done the same thing, but I would say, okay, well, that's the decision that he had to make. Then when Rodgers comes back and it's like he's the highest-paid quarterback and gets record-setting money, I'm like, to your point, wait a sec, wasn't this all about money? And that's kind of what I feel like with Deshaun Watson and making this decision, not to the extent of Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, like – at least in Russell Wilson's case, and Russell Wilson will be due a new contract very soon, and it's one of the reasons that the Seahawks traded him because they didn't think they were likely to have Russell Wilson return on a free agent deal, and that if they let it go any further, they likely wouldn't get enough in compensation that they just got from Denver. But it didn't seem like the money was the 
biggest deal to Russell Wilson. And maybe they just did a better job of covering it up. And maybe Deshaun Watson will have his opportunity to have his say and explain why he went to Cleveland. But to your point, yeah, it sure as heck seems about the money. Just like it did with Aaron Rodgers going back to Green Bay, it sure seems about the money. And and, and I don't want to get in anybody's pockets. Yes. But I mean, it's not my business to do so, but I do. it does hit me a little in the wrong way when it comes to that aspect. Well, it and, really and my, my question would be, too, if it was about the money, you mean to tell me Carolina right now with the heat that those people are feeling over there? That they couldn't have, you know, rubbed together some nickels and checked in the, the couch for some pennies and dimes? Like, is same with same with Atlanta. I mean, you know, how many years? Obviously, we know that Matt Ryan is is not only on the back end of his career, but the, but the final, I mean, we're talking year two, three, whatever it is. So the point is, if even if it was about money, I mean, Carolina couldn't have come up with something reasonably similar. Atlanta couldn't have come up with something reasonably similar. Mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, that's... And, and, and it's so tough because, again, you don't criticize anybody for taking the most possible money that they could take, but it is supposed like, – like it goes into all of the conversations we always have, right? All these athletes – and I'm not saying this even specifically about Deshaun Watson, but you hear athletes talk about the brand, about this, about that, about – Winning is the ultimate brand builder. Um, You know, Steph Curry becomes Steph Curry because he is the consummate winner, great teammate, whatever, and that's just an example. Uh, Being, I I don't know, Cleveland's obviously going to be better, but I I don't know, I just, it's just, yeah, I I don't know, I, I just, I'm trying to wrap my head around this because I can't criticize somebody for taking money, but man, that AFC, especially you just added Russell Wilson two weeks ago, on top of all the guys that we mentioned, it's just going to be a hard, hard, hard road to win at the highest level. He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Beyer. If you missed it, breaking news in the NFL as Deshaun Watson has told the Texans he wants to go to the Cleveland Browns and decides in an agreement on a trade that would not only send three first-round picks to Houston, but two other uh, pieces, likely draft picks as well, going to Houston in exchange for Watson, who would then get a new five-year deal worth a reported $230 million. The NFL Network saying that that contract would be fully guaranteed. This is, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it's crazy. And you know what? Heads up to Tim who, who, who tweeted in, uh, they do have Amari Cooper now. Completely blanked on that. So at least they yes. – so in terms of weapons, so a hat tip to Tim on Twitter for, uh, for, for passing that along. There is Amari Cooper in Cleveland. So it does take a little bit away of the uh, weapons sort of argument. I just – if they were out, how did they get back in? Because of the understanding that I had had, and now we have a whole Baker Mayfield discussion that we'll get to later on in the show as well, but if, if they were out, how do you get back in when the Texans apparently would only allow teams the opportunity to talk to Watson if they gave a suitable trade package? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, so, so to have the opportunity to talk to Watson, the Browns had to say, Houston will give you this, and then Houston said it was okay – so then Watson says, reports say, I'm not going to go to Cleveland. How do they get back in? I'm not, I, I, don't even, I don't expect you to have that answer, Aaron, but that is just it's, – it's interesting to me. Carolina, to your point, really you know, may have botched this. The only thing that seemingly had him wanting to go to Atlanta was to be close to home. The Saints had a couple of meetings. Maybe he just didn't feel good about those other three and ended up just having, I don't know, a – decent feeling about Cleveland maybe he wanted to be overwhelmed by the other ones and he wasn't but that that part to me is just curious on how they were out and they were back in and to going back to the point it maybe was then about money maybe it was they were then going to offer him this much as part of a deal well and that's the thing right is is you know I've seen some people on social media oh you know these reporters didn't know anything they didn't know that here's the bottom line we were on air yesterday when Baker Mayfield demanded a trade and there were immediate reports from multiple people that cover the Browns that a trade was not in the works. And so I don't think it's a stretch to say that 24 hours ago, the Browns thought they were out of the running. Like, I don't think this is some coy uh, Deshaun Watson. The Browns were were working together to throw everyone off their scent to keep the, the NFL media away from knowing what really happened. 
I really think that the Browns thought they were out, and whether it was going, uh, you know, going to ownership and, and seeing how much was was available to spend or whatever, or how much could we trade or whatever it was. I do believe that 24 hours ago when we were talking about a Baker Mayfield mm-hmm. trade demand and a Baker Mayfield rejected trade demand from the team, I don't think it's a stretch for us to say that the that we – I can't speak for you. I believe that the Browns thought they were out 24 hours ago. And so, again, as you said, as the reporting comes out on this over the next 24 to 48 hours, I'll be very curious to see what has happened in the previous 24 hours to allow yeah. the Browns to get back in. And to your point, I think the Browns probably did something that the Panthers didn't do, and that was maybe come back and say, all right, we'll give you this much money. Like that, That's the conversation. Like to, your, to your point about the, just the, the Panthers not upping what they needed to do, on the surface here for what we know, that would seem to connect dots. Right, like maybe, like maybe he's not keen on Cleveland, but you become keen on Cleveland because Cleveland gives a little bit more money, and then yeah, Cleveland's not going to sit there and, and trade Baker Mayfield, even though he wants out, because honestly, there were no other options. But that option was Deshaun Watson, so now they probably go back last night and say, "Well, can we give him more money? Can we offer this much?" And then they hit a price that they can hit and can't reach to, and Watson changes his mind, which tells me that's probably something Carolina didn't do. Because if Carolina was out and Cleveland was out, Cleveland kept on, you know, at least moving and making making an offer, and Carolina didn't? Man, you're a Panthers fan. Disappointing. And, and he's really – now that I know Baker's out there, but it's not like Baker's going to be traded to his own team. So there was only really one quarterback that was available for Cleveland – and that was Deshaun Watson, and they went after it. Wow. Well, and, and, and I'll just say really quick, I think that you, you have to be, maybe Carolina more than anybody, you have to be especially frustrated however it went down. And by the way, when I say uh, you, I don't even just mean the fans. I mean Matt Rule. I mean whoever's pulling the strings there because you knew – you had to go in. You had to to find the guy this off season, or and especially in Matt Rule's case, your job might be on the line here. And so to have a scenario where this guy is available and you simply can't close the deal for whatever reason, I mean, you you got to find a way. You got to find a way. I mean, the Browns. We criticized Baker. We talked about this yesterday. But we for all the criticism of Baker, this was a guy that twelve months ago was coming off of a playoff win. And so uh, he he's not the 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 Justin Herbert Josh Allen guy but he isn't some the way that people make him out to be as well. And so if the Browns had had to go back into next year with Baker Mayfield, they were still in a better position than a lot of teams. But for a team like Carolina that you knew you had to find the answer this offseason, you said that you were going to wait for the the process to play out. It plays out. Everybody links you to this guy. And you mm-hmm. still end up on the outside looking in. I don't know what's going on in that building right now, but they got to be very, very, very frustrated. Yeah, I give the Falcons a pass. They, they seem to be in a complete rebuild. And at some point, maybe it would have ca- happened a bit quicker if they were able to you know, bring in Watson. But then you're giving up some of those pieces that you would want to do in a rebuild. Uh, Saints almost seem that not out of left field, Aaron, but just because of the Sean Payton retirement. The Dennis Allen being the head coach, still trying to sort all of that out. They kind of seemed late into it, but Carolina's been in it for more than a year. And to your point, it's just, yeah, really doesn't make sense. And it also may tell you something that the Texans, uh, for maybe the offers that they got, were also willing to trade him within the conference. I was thinking Obviously that. not in the different uh, division, but he is staying in the AFC. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Back at it again on a Friday where the NCAA tournament again takes center stage. Aaron, honestly, uh, I don't drink, but I was hungover this morning from what we had in the first round of the NCAA tournament on Thursday. It actually started when we were on the air and Richmond ended up upsetting Iowa. Thought that that was going to be the bracket buster. There's that phrase again. (laughs) But that only was an appetizer to the craziness that we got last night in that 2-15 matchup in Indianapolis. 
I like how you conveniently went straight from Iowa to Kentucky, both losing while skipping over my alma mater, UConn, losing as a seven-point favorite <laughs> to New Mexico State. Um, it was crazy, and, and it was interesting because, you know, we were on air, obviously, during that early session, and I don't know that there was anything truly stunning. Obviously, the Iowa loss was huge, but Iowa historically, I mean, under Fran McCaffrey, their current head coach, they haven't been to even the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, let, let alone beyond that. So I don't know that there was anything stunning. And then, of course, just the chaos that you just referenced to kind of uh, hit us right there in the middle of the night about 7, 7.30 Eastern with that Kentucky-St. Peter's game. The two fifteen upset in the NCAA tournament has happened before, and last night it was the 10th time in history that it happened. Last year we were on the air when Oral Roberts upset Ohio State in a two fifteen matchup. But what I found so intriguing about St. Peter's win over Kentucky – uh, final score, 85-79, uh, did it in overtime, was number one that it was in overtime. Usually the longer the game goes, the better team ends up uh, winning out. And it, it, the more opportunities that they have to show that they are the better team, more often than not, uh, Kentucky or a team like Kentucky, I think, wins that game. But it didn't happen last night. So Kentucky is out, and there are some on Twitter – that in social media that we're talking about this is the greatest upset that we've ever seen in the NCAA tournament, considering uh, who Kentucky was, maybe some of the expectations that Kentucky was, and that it was a bigger upset than what uh, UMBC had against Virginia four years ago when Virginia was the number one seed, and it's the only time a 16 topped number one. And I just don't think, Aaron, that, that last night's game – was the greatest upset that we had in in the NCAA tournament. And that was my that was my first blush at it. Like you can argue all you want, but there's a lot of power in those numbers that are before the schools. And I just don't think that you can sit there and make a real case when it's only happened one time when a 16 is won that last night St. Peter's upset of Kentucky was the greatest upset we've seen in the NCAA tournament. Well, I do vehemently agree with you, and, and, and I don't know what all the reaction was, you know, in real time. And, and this is part of the media climate that we live in. Everybody wants to outdo each other. Everybody wants to have the craziest, hottest, boldest take. But, I mean, listen, Virginia, first of all, we had never seen a 16 seed pull off the upset. Virginia that year, number one overall seed. Uh, they had had success in the ACC tournament, which was a really, really good conference that year. And so what I don't even think, uh, you know, I, I didn't think this was the greatest upset ever. What I will tell you is a couple things. I mean, I'm I'm not enough of a historian to know, but I've heard a lot of people in the media call this um, the worst loss in Kentucky basketball history. It's Kentucky media now. like, And you talk about 100 years playing at a high level, that really says something. Um, and, and I'll also say is that just in, in doing all the prep work for the bracket, um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm by any means a, a Mac or St. Peter's expert. But when these upsets happen, there's sometimes that you can kind of see the scenario where, okay, one team plays this way and the smaller seed plays that way. And if this goes right and that goes right, you can see the scenario where it happens. And I just bring it up because from the St. Peter's, Kentucky perspective, I actually looked into St. Peter's a little bit just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Mm -hmm. This was a team that averaged 66 points per game. Um, there's 350 teams in college basketball, and they were in the 300s in scoring. Uh, negative assist-to-turnover ratio over the course of the season, which means they had more turnovers than assists. And, oh, by the way, um, I don't know if we talked about it on air yesterday, but uh, their, their starting front court, they have two guys that are 6'7", under 200 pounds, going up against one of the greatest rebounders that we've seen in recent college basketball history, the National Player of the Year, Oscar Sheboy. So I just bring it up to say, Dan, uh, there, there, there are plenty of scenarios where an upset happens where you can see the sure. scenario where maybe it's kind of coming. This was definitively not one of them. And then the heat falls on John Calipari's shoulders. Sure. And to have Kentucky lose in this fashion, and then you have the whether it be real or fake conversation of this being the worst loss, Cal gets a lot of heat, uh, quite a bit of heat, and especially when you have that fan base. What I don't understand, though, Aaron, is from everything that you said, 
isn't that a player's sort of thing? I mean, I, I mean, in terms of in terms of a team hitting, you know, like nine threes, like St. Peter's last night ended up shooting above fifty percent from three point range. That's it's part of a recipe for an upset. Don't sometimes players just make plays? Like I get last night was bad. But is it really worth it saying, you know what, I think we need a change at the top? Because that's some of the conversation that's coming out of Lexington and coming out of the Big, Big Blue Nation that I just, I mean, man, I, I th- there's a lot of equity built into that. And I just don't know, like, you have a you have a bad night, and now all of a sudden you want to move Cal out and, and move on to a new name and a new face? I just... I, I just I don't think that that's smart. I, I, I mean, talk about overreacting. I just think that's an extreme overreaction. First off, I think two things can be true. So one, what you said is correct. It, it is a player's game, and the coach can only put his team in position to win. Kentucky 4 of 15 from three last night, and this was a team that on the season, uh, they were the best three-point shooting team in the SEC, shot about 35-36% uh, for the entire season. And as I said, 4 for 15, 26% last night, 23 of 35 from the free throw line, including 1 of 6 in overtime. So that part can absolutely be true. What can also be true is that while John Calipari shouldn't be fired, uh, I, I do think uh, there there are times where I think fan bases just overreact and everybody goes crazy and you're in the moment, you're in the heat of the moment. But John Calipari is, I believe, the second highest paid coach in college basketball behind Coach K. Uh, we don't know Coach K's exact salary because of the fact that it is a private school. But we now have, Dan, I, I think about a five, six-year track record where if you start to look at the results for Kentucky – He's not getting the results of a guy that is the second highest paid person in his profession. I mean, last year, first of all, so worst loss in maybe Kentucky basketball history last night. This coming off of last year, the worst season in Kentucky basketball history. Now, 2020 had a really good team, Emmanuel Quickly, Tyrese Maxey, but no NCAA tournament was played, so we'll never know. The year before, they lose to Auburn in the Elite Eight, a team that they had beaten twice. The year before that, they lose in the Sweet 16 uh, to a number nine seed in Kansas State. And so we're really talking about a five-year track record, three NCAA tournaments. You lose to three lower seeds. Uh, One year, you have the worst season ever. And to cap that off by this season, you come back. There's so much goodwill off of that historically bad season last year to then lose in the first round to St. Peter's. I think where Kentucky fans' frustration lies, and I agree with you, nobody's getting fired. It lies in this is a four or five year trend where this program, uh, you know, you're judged by the NCAA tournament and they're not delivering in the NCAA tournament. This is this is the this is the crapshoot to me mm-hmm. now Correct. of college basketball. And this is this is the I, I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's the dangerous part, Aaron. Maybe it's the part that we don't um, that, that it wasn't necessarily like this because. Izzo was going to Final Fours with Michigan State, and Coach K was, and Cal was, and there are always familiar faces that you've seen in the Final Four. But just to go back and look over the last five years of schools that have made Final Fours, I mean, we're talking Oregon, South Carolina, uh, Loyola, Chicago, Texas Tech, Virginia obviously cut down the nets. Auburn could get back there this year, but they were there three years ago. You had UCLA make their crazy run, and maybe I won't even include them, and you have Houston making their run last year. To me, when you start to have these non-brand names, and it's not meant to be disrespectful, but I think maybe maybe non-blue blood's a better way to put it, and so UCLA definitely wouldn't be in that conversation. But I think it does tell you on how much of a crapshoot the tournament is starting to become. And so the overall success of of a coach or not, like I get like wanting to move past and I get Iowa's probably frustrated with Fran McCaffrey to your point of this happened over and over again. But I think that what you ask for is your team to be in position. And that's all that you can ask for, because I would rather have a team that wins, you know, goes 25 and seven in a regular season is near the top of the conference and gets a top four seed in the tournament. than to want to keep a coach around because he had three good weeks in March. And that's the scary. And, and and I understand I like it's six years of, of evidence where there haven't been a three good, you know, weeks in March, but who, what coach can you bring in to change that? And I just don't think that that, you know, like I, you can't because of the nature of the beast that we are talking about with the tournament. 
Well, and first of all, the, the biggest problem is if – and we're, neither you nor I is advocating that change should actually happen. I'm certainly not, and I know you aren't either. But even if you did, uh, good luck finding the guy that wants to replace the guy that does have Kentucky in contention every year because if you're saying that a two-seed, uh, second or third place in the SEC – um, you know, winning at Kansas, doing everything that they did isn't good enough and that it's national championship or bust. I don't care how much you're going to pay somebody. Nobody wants that job uh, where you have zero margin for error, especially following a guy that largely has had success like John Calipari. And so what I will say, I do think that this specific NCAA tournament is going to be an interesting one because we really have seen a trend. And, and this was a stat that I talked about last week of usually the best team or two seems to find its way to a Final Four, but you get past that, and there is just chaos every single year because of all the reasons that we talk about in college basketball, and some of them have hurt the sport, the changing of the, of, of the rosters constantly, younger players coming into this sport, all that good stuff. Uh, but I'm very curious to see how this tournament plays out because if we do get um, – I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but Murray stayed in the final four or whatever. Then mm-hmm. it really just does be, it really does make you wonder, is this tournament absolutely just a total crapshoot? Is this what it's going to be for the end of time? The best teams aren't as good anymore because you don't keep players for three or four years and forget that uh, you're losing players to the transfer portal all the time. I think these are broader, interesting conversations to have. I'm curious to see. Um, I, I, I threw an analogy this morning at you, Dan. I'm curious for your perspective on I, I, and to be clear, no one's saying Calipari needs to go. Nobody's saying he's out. Nobody's saying pack his bags. I mean, some are, but nobody that's that's logical and reasonable. Um, but I, I I am getting some big Dallas Cowboys vibes out of the, the Kentucky Wildcats right now. Let me explain why. Neither or you know organization one place we call them a program in college basketball. Neither is awful. Neither is bad. But it just seems like the last three, four, five years, and I know Dallas in, it goes back to the 90s. I get that. But Kentucky, I mean, we're talking about five, six, seven years now where you get to that big stage, where you're defined by that big stage, and you come up short, and you're kind of in that middle ground where you can't really make a change because you're really, really, really good. But you're not getting to that ultimate prize, and there's some frustration. And so, to me, the way a Kentucky fan feels this morning, I feel like is the way a Cowboys fan feels after that 49ers game, where you just sit there and say, what do we got to do? And by the way, I think both fan bases are thinking the same thing. I'm not asking for a championship. I'm just not asking for that. I am not asking for what I saw yesterday, whether it was just an embarrassing loss to the 49ers where you have a million penalties and you can't run the two-minute drill, or whether it's you're a Kentucky fan where it's okay. It's one thing to go to the the, uh, Sweet 16 and lose to Purdue or the Elite Eight and lose to Baylor. It's another thing to lose to something called St. Peter's that you had never heard of until five minutes ago, and that's no disrespect to St. Peter's. The 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 fan bases are are applicable. I'll say that when you got big blue, uh, big blue nation. Why do I keep calling them big blue? I think because of the blue in the second part. You're ha- hung over. That's why you said you're hung over. I am hung but over. Yesterday alcohol, was a taxing day in college hoops. But no, you, there are there are similarities to the fan base and how much they do care about their team and the ups and downs that they have been in. I will say at least Kentucky has had more success than Dallas has had recently. I, I just I, I wonder this, and I, I gotta let you know today's show is brought to you by one of our favorite cities, Las Vegas, the greatest arena on earth. Plan your trip today at visitlasvegas.com. I just want to get your thoughts on this final point. Kentucky at one point was thought to be the king of the one and dones, and then Duke has kind of taken over that. Now one and dones not as important. Transfer Agreed. portal almost seems more important. Is that going to help or hurt Kentucky moving on if Cal stays as their head coach? So it's very interesting that you ask that because last offseason when Kentucky again was coming off a 9-16 and season, they missed the NCAA tournament, that was believed to be the solution. Okay, we've been the youngest team in the country forever. Let's go get guys that are established at the college level and let's rock out and let's roll and let's just beat teams by 20. And, and by the way, it goes back to our original conversation is – they did have an incredible regular season. They won by 20 at Kansas. They beat Tennessee, who's red hot at one point, by 30 points. They beat North Carolina big, et cetera. 
Um, so I think that's another part of this conversation from the perspective of people that are kind of over Calipari is that was the excuse last offseason. Well, let's just get older. Let's some get, to get some veterans in here because you can't do the one-and-done thing alone anymore. Now that doesn't work. So I would say in the bigger picture, Dan, to answer your question, I think the portal will help Kentucky. I have said on the record, I think they should just stop recruiting high school kids. High school kids come in. They know they're only going to be there for a year. Most of them don't make the difference that you expect them to. Um, I would go heavy in the portal, but I think that's another part of the conversation that's completely different, which is, darn it, man. You told us, get rid of the high school kids. Let's go get some older players. We did that, and it resulted in another embarrassing loss, this one to St. Peter's. He's Aaron Torres. Get him on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. I'm Dan Byer. Find me on Twitter at Dan Byer on Fox as we are in for Doug Gottlieb today. Devontae Adams is now a Raider, and the Packers have draft picks. We dive into that trade and tell you who won it next year on Fox Sports Radio.